Welcome to the Adapting Places podcast. I'm going to be finishing off the series related to decision-making under uncertainty uh, with a walk and talk about uh, some of the data I've got coming in. It's uh, quite interesting that I can now see almost the end of the of the PhD I mean that's cocky to say because there's still a year and a half at least until I submit but um, I've got uh, 15 participants in and um, I've just managed to get five interviews over the last week so it's gonna be interesting to see where things are lodged into my head as I try to speak uh, and get the data to come back to me some of it of course I'm still uh, transcribing and uh, I've actually started coding now as well because I think it's the right time uh, I previously had some skins of uh, you know kind of template analysis well not template if it was halfway what I see in my data halfway what I'd read in the literature. I guess it is a template. Ah, fuck. Whatever. Um, and I was doing that in a spreadsheet. I've started using NVivo. That's a lot more practical, I have to say. Uh, even though I felt a resistance in myself initially. Just because it's change, right? And when you have change all over you with new data coming in, uh, I guess even I'm not immune to trying to avoid the uncertainty of learning something new, even though I always find it actually quite pleasant after the fact. Um, I actually had this really pleasant experience recently of uh, a gestalt switch of sorts, you know, just mindset change after spending some time Yeah, that's not uh, the audio going wrong, just somebody walking past me and they were staring a little bit. So, because I am walking and talking to myself on the street at the end of the day. Um, um, but yeah, so uh, I had this really cool style switch when uh, I've been listening to uh, scientists in fields that are you know not necessarily related to what I'm interested in, but uh, you know, COVID time. I have to keep entertained and I've been delving deep into the social science side of things. So I've actually now spent time uh, listening to audiobooks and listening to podcasts from more natural sciences uh, leaning academics. And it's been interesting when I came across, I can't actually remember who was saying that, but. Um, yeah, I'm going to totally rip them off, though, because it was so so much fun. Because <laughs> they said that the way that people think about space now in physics is that it's not necessarily empty. It has its own um, structure and its own well, topography, I guess, 
uh, related to the things I'm interested in geography and <laughs> we always talk about place kind of being fundamental rather than space so space being more abstract but I like straight away I remember walking on the street and I've always imagined you know my obsession with earth and earth boundliness and not being interested in anything outside was because it felt <laughs> empty uh, but as soon as they were talking about it, I could imagine outer space you know being curved as it is you know as we know from the gravity of planets and kind of imagining it more as a as the mountain ranges in space as well and like everything there being interconnected rather than empty empty and some planets so that felt good but actually going into choosing to read more towards their natural sciences and returning to some of my roots in mathematics was so uncomfortable at the beginning but yeah so that side note to the side it's um it's been really good to get some interviews in and i plotted the the places that uh, people have lived in that i talked to on a map and i've got quite a spread uh filled in some some gaps uh it's been super pleasant to speak to some people from uh the middle east and had people from uh north africa just whether i like it or not they're blind spots for me from where i've come from so it was great conversations um and they've also made me think about kind of in betweenness in between places because i know when we write about it i've read in literature about how place is always transitioning and um philosophically i i, I truly believe that you know that a lot of it is changing and some some things get sedimented in kind of like in the valley of a river and the, the bottom of a river i guess you get some sediment so in places there are certain things that don't move that much like the you know that the stone in mecca where people go to pilgrim like that's been there for a while but also many other things are always changing ever becoming but also people's own experiences of once they don't fit into one boundary that was interesting so people from uh, uh, Algeria that I spoke to were saying they're not Muslim enough they're not uh, European enough they're not African enough not Arab enough for some <laughs> uh, and talking to uh, someone with the Saudi background it was interesting how they they saw um, moving away and staying somewhere as then maybe changing a bit too much to then be able to fit in back into into Saudi Arabia so then not being Saudi enough <laughs> I can relate to that to an extent I mean I've I'm Bulgarian, proud to be Bulgarian, but every time I go back to Bulgaria, it's a bit odd. I don't necessarily feel like I fit in. I don't fit in here either. Well, strong word saying not fitting in, right? I'm having a great daily life. But it's some of the conversations that might go a bit more easy 
to describe for people that have lived there in their own country. Um, they, they've changed for some of us and would have lived across places, taken on other cultures. I mean, that's always been an interesting one for me where like, how much is, is it acceptable to have your own culture and be able to explain who you are in another culture. That's actually something that one participant talked about. You know, you do create your own culture. <laughs> and uh, I guess there is a freedom in that, but it's there is a difficulty in trying to communicate. Like, I've always tried to explain to, to my friends. So when I took loads of uh, my English friends back to Bulgaria for my wedding and they talked to my friends from back home they were surprised that me being the way I am was not just because I didn't understand something about English culture or whatever like Alex like the way I said it, it's like Alex isn't weird just in England like Alex was weird in Bulgaria as well you know I was <laughs> like that anyway and it was interesting I was having this conversation with my dad the other day who was, um, he's fine now, but he was in hospital because he had COVID. I mean, at least now my whole family's had it and moved past it. So, uh, yeah. So you can imagine we were having a lot of heart to heart conversations. But one of them was, he was asking me like, like, why do you live in Bristol and you keep like, because I moved recently, like, why do you keep saying it's a nice place when you're telling me there's graffiti everywhere. And I'm like, that's, that's, you know, that's where, these are not, not, not the nice places. I was like, trying to explain to him, like it's, graffiti isn't, isn't even like edgy anymore. Like it's a 50 year old art form, if anything, compared to God knows what the young people are doing at the moment. I don't even know um, about, maybe it's like actually so out. Um, I like hip hop is i mean it's so mainstream i mean dr dre is a billionaire so these are not fringe cultures to for me to to like and you know that's quite big in in bristol i guess along with other movements that i want to be involved in uh but again you know i had to say to my dad that like like in this kind of stuff doesn't remove some of the ideas I have around family and some of these values which I feel seem to be always positioned one against the other it's like the conservatism versus just like pull that way and that's become exacerbated in the political realm but I would love to depoliticize my life as much as possible recently it's just I think we're over it we tried it we improve the business of politics quite a lot by being willing and unwilling participants and I think we need to all come down and really see what do we really believe rather than trying to just fit in with one or another political ideology. So again that that was a slight sidetrack but again back to some of the data I got around you know this kind of in between this and it's interesting that I've always been fascinated with this so the in between is actually the most 
fun, so not fit in. I don't know, for some reason it keeps making me making me think about in between periods where you're like, I'm traveling somewhere, I'm not there yet, so it's like free time. And uh, there is something about like this in between this the places where it feels different. Like people at airports or maybe it's just a British culture where you have to just get as sloshed as you can and they instituted rules here <laughs> about drinking, but there is like this, you know, like uh, rules of the almost the open seas. I guess yeah, in the sea there is a different set of rules, and which for some reason reminds me of some of the stuff I've been reading lately, and uh, so I've been trying to make my way through this encyclopedia of uh, human geography that's 6,000 pages and I'm going alphabetically because it's ordered the articles are alphabetical so like it goes you know Africa and then anarchist geography everything so that I I can when I go to my viva and I get challenged that I've just had you know my confirmation bias make me pick what to read I can say well in addition to the reading I've done for what I'm interested in, I did that as well. Uh, forget about the other stuff that I'm doing in peer review. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but so in that encyclopedia, uh, again, I can't remember who was writing about this, but uh, it was focused on Antarctica. And I did not know that Antarctica is governed by such a different set of rules than what we imagine the rest of the territory on Earth. And it's I mean, you'd like to think of it as idealistic because there's multiple countries that have, a, you know, the science of, uh, labs there and, you know, there's cooperation. There's actually a lot of tension as well because of future potential resources that are there that uh, countries might have a, a claim on. So I didn't know about that at all. And it's interesting, when I was reading that, I did think... It's a place that's inhabited by so little people. Uh, apparently, actually, there is some tourism, like 50,000 people a year, I think. But, but generally, it's not populated. And yet, you could argue there was a brand of, of Antarctica. Because it's something that people project onto it. A lot of the times. Rather than, uh, you know, what the inhabitants thought of Antarctica. In this instance, you know, not many. So, I know that in our discipline of you know, emerging discipline, let's call it that, because I don't know, still should be early days. Even though there's conferences, you know, a very well-formed association by now, ah, let's call it discipline of place branding. So, in 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 the discipline, we. There seem to be more and more discussions of, you know, involving residents into place branding, and now that's going to speed up, I think, just because it's going to be the majority of what's available, you know, because tourism is not going to be on back on track probably until 2024, 25. Uh, 
So it's not just, uh, weirdly enough, it's not the democratic ideals of involving people in participatory governance that did it, but it was just the lack of people that could come in to consume things. So that's going to be an interesting development to follow. Um, so I did think, yeah, because the other talks as part of these series that I did were quite structured because they're four, like I've, I've spent four years in the literature, right? Kind of have a very firm grasp on what, where I'm situated, where there's the gap in the literature, which is hilarious that when I was being told to look for a gap or not to look for a gap in the literature, but extend the literature where there was other things when I started the PhD, I didn't think that it would, there would be such a thing that it would feel like to know what that means. But now I know what it means. So I've, I, I've got this very decent structure in my head. But now this data coming in, it's going to take me time to really see where it takes me. Uh, you know, let, let, let go of some ideas that were in the literature that don't match up to my data. So see how they meet, meet, meet both in the middle. <laughs> oh, it's been a long day with these interviews. It's, uh, so we're thinking about some of the kind of the things I set out to, to collect. I'm going to now, you know, let go of place because I mentioned a few things. Um, but thinking about decision making and kind of uh, the questions I've got around do people make rational decisions when they choose where to live? It's been interesting to think about how rationality seems to be well defined in one thing, and there's been more, a bigger variety of descriptions of what the opposing or orthogonal thing to rationality. So is it, uh, when I'm not rational, I'm emotional. When I'm not rational, I'm irrational. When I'm uh, not rational, I'm, you know, being uh, subjective and it's about personal preference. And then that variety, amongst that variety, it will be interesting to start comparing it because I still haven't kind of cross-tabbed my, my data to look at it that way. But people definitely have a, an understanding of how they've made decisions, but only because they've been asked. It does seem um, like it's not something that stays top of mind. And especially when I ask questions about people's priorities when choosing, um, they, they're able to verbalize them and put them in a, in, a, in a summary, but then they seem to be surprised that they're able to do that that it was somewhere there. And with these priorities, it's clear I'm noticing that they develop over time. You know, they're not the same in each move. And as people change through life stages, those change so then people can acknowledge that. So it's interesting. And a lot of these things don't necessarily fit the standard economic and marketing models, which is what I set out to do to kind of to see I kind of knew that they don't fit some of them, but, you know. Uh, 
it's it's now about showing well actually okay how in detail dude should we model these you know decision making processes and then asking people about their recommendations about how others should make you know uh, choices asking them about the rules of thumb that they can summarize their decision making there is a tendency to say that you know these are personal choices and people wouldn't want to enforce their own that much you know there's some that said you know do like me and then they describe what they did but there are interesting ones that uh, make me think that it's going to be difficult to compare and and also like uh, philosophically and methodologically there's going to be a lot of hiccups in trying to compare people's rules of thumb but well you know uh, i do think that for now what i've got is a kind of the the idea space the the codes the potential space of uh of opportunities is a kind of the the structure of a of heuristic there is a meta structure proposed by uh gerd gigerenzer whose uh kind of writings i've i've followed in understanding heuristics or rules of thumb and they tend to have uh He's just there are three general stages of search, uh, kind of stop on something and then decide. Uh, I'm, I'm going to initially try to see if that works for how people describe uh, their own rules of thumb, but then I'll see if they also compare it to some of them, the meta rules of thumb that are proposed in more evolutionary and cognitive psychology, like the uh, like a lot of them are actually now being implemented into AI research, so uh, we'll see if people that I've got in my study uh, would have this similar structure to their decision making. Um, yeah, that's the thing, yeah. I used to get these mind-blowing uh, ideas from the literature initially, but now I just know how much theory just emerges from the sheer grind of coding step by step. But it's still fun to, to talk about some of these uh, weird insights into into the things and I'm, I'm sure some of these striking comments would be helpful in describing my phd in the end you know kind of in the write-up uh, because it is a, a key consideration um kind of thinking about now is how to so i i need to present people's stories quite still related to the context in which they made decisions and their own personal histories and themselves as humans because that's kind of in the in the philosophy of what I'm doing uh, but then how do I pick out the themes but without just doing a thematic presentation so it'll be an interesting one uh, and I'm 
for that reason I've been watching a lot of documentaries because I think the genre of documentary you know kind of good journalism manages to present this story because at the end of the day if I have the best insights and I'm not able to communicate them convincingly half the battle is lost because I mean I, I know it's a PhD so it's just gonna be good on my shelf I'll tell people about it but it would be nice if it can uh, spring up some well-communicated ideas that really don't just influence people at the conferences because I'm not just trying to impress them I do think there is this uh, real phenomenon that's happening at the moment about places being branded and soon it would become Hmm. It will become problematized, I think, in the public eye. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm too hopeful, but I, I, I've, I've, I've had my finger on the pulse before. Before the problems with personal data were in the public eye. I was quite interested in them, like, ten years ago. And some people probably were before. I'm not saying I'm the messiah, but, you know from my own little uh, tower, watchtower, I can see in some distance. Right, and because this sound is too big-headed even for me, I'm gonna cut it here, just so I can stay humble and honest to my data, and not just chit-chat anymore. Alright, thanks for listening, and I think what I'll be doing next uh, I've said this before, or I thought I'd do something, I didn't do it, but eh, let's see. I'll, I'll probably be doing some, some interviews again. I, I love uh, just speaking because it makes me think about the problems I'm dealing with, but I really want to pick some other people's brains, uh, especially as I prepare to start sharing my research uh, more formally in the academic sphere. Yeah, the first book chapter has been sent to print I think so I need to keep talking to people alright